How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. So, as we've been discussing, we're in the three-week period already starting tonight is the beginning of the month of Av. Av is considered the saddest month on the Jewish calendar, but really only because of the first half of the month. When we get to the middle of the month, we actually have the most joyous holiday on the calendar, and that's actually something I taught my students in camp today, um, but we'll save that for um, another show. But we're leading up to the ninth of Av, to that day that we all remember the destruction of the first temple, the destruction of the second temple. Um, and there's really five things. We'll see um, maybe later in the show I have time to go through the five things. Um, if not, again, we'll get to that next week. Um, but just an interesting story that I reminded myself of this morning. Um, and I can't remember why I was teaching my class about Napoleon. Somehow, Napoleon came up in class. And not because there's a certain pastry called a Napoleon. I don't think my students even know what it is. Happens to be very, very delicious. Go into a Jewish bakery, get yourself a Napoleon cream and pastry dough. Delicious. Except I'm not supposed to eat those Danishes. But in any case, um, Napoleon um, was walking past a Jewish synagogue. And it's a Jewish synagogue. He's walking past a synagogue. And he saw all the men sitting on the floor and wailing and crying. And he asked one of his uh, generals or advisors or guards, and he said, uh, what's going on? What are they crying about? So, oh, they're crying that their temple, this is the anniversary of the destruction of their temple. Oh, very interesting. I, I, I don't remember hearing about the destruction of their temple. Um, when did this take place? Oh, you know, 17, 1800 years ago. So Napoleon says, well, the Jewish people, these men are crying about something that happened so long ago, something that not, not their grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents saw, so far removed in their history, and they still cry about it? That's why, Napoleon says, that's why the Jewish people are still around. The fact that they can hold on to something so far in their history and and they can still cry about it. Forget about talking about it. Okay, everybody can talk about things that happened in history. We all go to school and, and we all have history books of what happened thousands of years ago. But that it's it's part of them that they have a feeling for it. There's a reason that the Jewish people have not been destroyed and are still around. Um before we get into the show, I, I like to bring up now to all my dedicated listeners, you know, I know you all love the show and, and I got to tell you, I need your help. Um, we need to spread the show. We need to continue that the show should grow. And I need you to go to my homepage and make a donation. 
If you could please hit that donate button, there's four different uh, levels there. And if you donate to the show, we'll give you a shout out. Um, we could um, mention the show will be in memory of a loved one. It could be um, as a merit, as a schus for someone who needs to, who's sick, who needs to be healed. Any of these things is my pleasure to mention during the show. Um, if you could be kind enough, please, and go ahead and just hit that donate button. And that way we can pay the studio, we can pay to push the show out, and more people can benefit from what you are benefiting listening to the show. So in advance, I thank you. And again, just there's a memo box there. Whatever you write, I'll take care of. If you want an anonymous, we could do that. Um, it's all good. And again, I thank you for your help. So... <laughs> In, in the Torah portion, we're in Pinchas, we talk about a final counting of the Jewish people. Generally, again, it's a discussion amongst the rabbis, are we counting everybody or only soldiers? If you like to understand that we're just counting soldiers, it, fits, it just fits easier. Ramban says it. And that is that Moses leaves Egypt with 600,000, when they do the counting, yes, 600,000 and 603,000 and change. And he is now, Moses, his life is almost up. He's going to have uh, 30 days and change left to his life. And so now that Moses is giving over the leadership to Joshua, so we make another accounting, another counting of the soldiers. And sure enough, there's a 601,000 and change. So Moses says, this is what you gave me when I left Egypt with all the things that happened over these 40 years, with, all, with the plagues and the punishment and the spies and the golden calf. And as leader, and I led the Jewish people through the wilderness all these years, I am returning and I'm giving an accounting, same amount of soldiers. And um, yes, different generation. Many were killed along the way, but there's still 600,000 and change. And so no complaints. You can't have any complaints on me as on that part of the leadership of what I accomplished. Okay, so it's interesting. In the counting, um, and I, I, I think this is the first year I ever saw some of these answers. I can't remember where the question came up, but um, I did my research, and it's amazing. It talks about, I was just going to say, okay, Ruvain. And Ruvain has four families, Hanoichi uh, and Palui, and there's uh, different, they're unusual names, of course, for us. But it talks about the four family names, and then it gives the accounting of whatever, 45,000, 54,000, each tribe, whatever they have. So it actually goes through each tribe. It mentions the names of their families, and the commentaries point out how um, some families, we added family names. Some tribes we took away. For example, Benjamin loses five. Um, some of the names, the comments are that the names have changed, which we talked about, I think, two weeks ago. Um, if not, there was a, by God, there's a family. Yov becomes Yashov because he sat, because Yashov means to sit, and he sat, and he worked so hard, and he was able to accomplish. Oh, I'm sorry, for Misachar. And he worked so hard, and he um, and he was able to be successful in his Torah study because of his his constant sitting and working and trying. So there are a few nuances in the names, but um, 
two, I think, important things that we should point out, notice, recognize in these names. Number one, each family name had a hey and a yud added to the name. So Chanoich is Ha-Chanochi, right? Like, so the name was Chanoch. So why are we adding the letter hey at the beginning and the letter yud at the end? That's the first point that it's important that we recognize and again, it's like funny because these are some of the Torah portions when you see names and numbers. Most people, we just, we read it through really fast. Like just, just get through the point. Okay, I know names and families. Okay, fine. Like no, no great shakes coming out of mentioning a bunch of names of people that, that are not around anymore. And the truth is, it's really just the opposite. The Torah says God is putting his stamp of approval on each family name. What do I mean that God is putting a stamp of approval on each family name? Simple. The letter He and the letter Yud are two out of the four letters of God's name. So God says, I am putting my name, I am connecting my name to this family. You know why? Because I am attesting to the fact that over 210 years in Egypt and these families stay pure. Family stayed pure. So therefore, their family deserves my name connected, which is amazing to say we were slaves for all these years and the Egyptians may have been in control of us physically, but as far as the purity of our families, the Egyptians did not have any control. There's one story in the whole 210 years, and the Torah talks about that story, and pretty much that family was... uh, um, was sort of destroyed for different reasons, different sides. It was a different in different Torah portions, and not the conversation I want now. Now we just want to point out that when we can look at something and say, "Is like, like, can I just run through this?" You could run through it, but you got to make sure you don't miss the point of these stories. And in this case, the point of the story is, or the point of the names is that God put His name on our families. That's like God saying that your family is pure, was always pure even when they were slaves. That's, right? That's a, that's a, you know, your badge, your badge of honor, your medal of service, right? Your, uh, your, your, what do they call it uh, in America? Right? The Presidential Medal of Honor, right? So the Presidential Medal of Honor is a big deal. Well, God's Medal of Honor is way bigger. It's a way bigger deal, and that's what God is placing on all these families. So, yeah, he's going through the list of all the families that received the Medal of Honor. That is amazing. It's also a, a totally different attitude that we can have when we're looking at this Torah portion. That's one. The next thing is amazing even though I've just told you a very good reason why we list the names, right? You list the names of all the Medal of Honors. But again, you could just say, okay, like, okay, it's very nice, but is that the only reason we, we have to mention all these families? Like, just tell me, Ruvain's family has, because there's another place in the Torah where we mention all these names. So we really mentioned their names as Medal of Honors, if you want to go that way. So there's a very interesting Ramban Um why we have to mention all these families. What are we trying to accomplish? So first of all, on a very simple, easy, 
level when the Jewish people and we're on the cusp, right? We're, we're on the border of Israel. We're about to go in. It's going to take us 14 years to conquer and divvy up the land amongst all the tribes. So we're, we're right there. So we need to know that when we are entering the land, does it matter where we live? And as yes, the tribes, each tribe is getting its area. But after we got the basic um, boundaries per tribe, and each one gets a certain amount of land, doesn't matter where I go. And the Ramban says, yeah, it does matter where you go. As each family is supposed to hang out with their family. So if Ruvain has four families coming from him, so then each group is supposed to take their area. If there's five, there's going to be five groups. Six will be six groups. Three will be three groups. Whatever, however many family members there are, that's how much you, that is, that will give you an idea of the location of where your family should be. And the third one I thought was amazing. And that was that it would seem this is the first time in history we come up with a concept of a last name. In other words, the Ramban says that these family names are, are like a, a, a um, I don't want to say a stamp of approval, but it's like an honor. In other words, each family had that early great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparent, and that person was amazingly special. In other words, you have the tribes go down. Most of these names are the names of the children the first-generation children of the tribes. Some of them are grandchildren. I don't know if there's any. There may be one, but for the most part, I don't think there's any great-grandchildren. So these children, and they may not have been the only children. Right? Now, there's five there from, uh, from Benjamin, and, and two of them are grandchildren. They, there, were, there could have been many other children or grandchildren But they weren't on this special level to deserve that all their descendants will be called after them. So it's true they were first names. These were all these children that are mentioned, that are on this level, that are special, that are deserving, that all their descendants should carry on their family name. Now, their family name was their first name, but the first name becomes the family name. So for the first time in history... We have a whole nation that can identify. Now, there may be tens of thousands uh, of these uh, children and grandchildren that go with these family names, but at least till they enter the land of Israel, until they move to those areas, they all went with these family names. Obviously, historically, it would seem those names fell off, right? Until you get to more recent history in Europe where they felt it was just because of identification. People were starting to travel and you needed to prove citizenship. So all of a sudden, we needed last names. But till we get to that point of last names, you have all these people, you have all these people that don't have, that, that I mean, again, through the Middle Ages, there are probably no last names, right? But at least in this period of time in the Jewish people's history, from when they leave Egypt till they enter the land of Israel, and I can't tell you for how long, they actually had the concept of a last name. I thought that was just something eye-opening. 
that the reason the Torah is mentioning all these names is because these were their names. This, these were the family names. Nowhere else do we ever find historically so far back, to my knowledge, I'm sure someone will email me and correct me and I will uh, point out the correction after I get it, but till I get that correction, sounds like for me this is the first time in history we ever hear this concept of, uh, of last names. So I thought that was just amazing. Okay. Um, at the end of the Torah portion of Pinchas, it talks about the holiday sacrifices, the Passover holiday sacrifices in the temple and the Shavuot sacrifices, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and, and Sukkot. And on the Sukkot holiday, on Sukkot's holiday, there was a special 70 cows brought over the week of Sukkot. Um, 13, then 12, but it goes down. They didn't divvy up the 70 in order. It actually goes down. It's 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, um, 7. And you end up with that even number of 70. And uh, what, what were we bringing these 70 cows for? What was their purpose? What do we need them for? So interesting enough, the 70 cows were representative of the 70 nations that we find after Noah comes out of the ark and it talks about the families and there's 70 names listed there. Those are the 70 nations that the world came from. So these cows that we brought in the temple on the Sukkot holiday um, was for the benefit of the nations of the world. We weren't just bringing sacrifices for the Jewish people. We're actually bringing sacrifices for the benefit of the world. And if the nations would have understood what we were doing for them, first of all, they would have set up guards. There would be like the, there would be a UN um, army of soldiers protecting the temple from any outside armies. <laughs> this temple is. Uh, is helping our crops, is helping the rain in our areas, the livestock, the children, the families. We got to protect ourselves. So we're going to protect uh, what's, what's taking care of us. And not only that, the nations of the world, you know, you have farmers and they're spread out all over the land of Israel. And, uh, you know, it's sometimes hard to leave your farm to go up to the temple to pray because you're afraid of who's going to take care of your farm. But if the non-Jews would have recognized what the temple was doing for them, they would have knocked on the Jewish farmer's door and say, Hey, don't you have a holiday coming up? Why are you here? Oh, I wish I could go up. I have no one to watch the farm. I have no one to watch my cows. I'm afraid. What are you talking about? I'll watch your farm. You go up to the temple. You pray to God. You make sure you pray for me. I'll watch your farm. I won't charge you. No charge. You don't got to worry. Me and my boys will take care of whatever you need. But, of course, that's not what happened, right? What happened was in the end, which is what we're leading up to, right? The end of the nine days, we get to the ninth of Av, Tishabav, The nations destroyed the temple and lost that opportunity of what we were doing for them. Now, by the way, this juxtaposes with a second sacrifice that was only brought on the Sukkot holiday. What was that special um, sacrifice? It happens it was water. The, the, we made a big deal. Every day they poured a jar of water into one of the funnels on top of the altar. 
And it was a water libation. Now, it's interesting. It's, it's written nowhere in the Torah. It's at best hinted to, um, at, at best it was hinted to in these verses about the 70 cows. And the tzedukim, um, they actually didn't believe in it. So it's like this. When we're bringing sacrifices for the nations, we're also bringing a water sacrifice, right? And it's a hint. It's a hint to water. Now, water is powerful, right? Think of the ocean, think of the waves, think of its power. There's flooding going on in Kentucky right now, and there was, I think, Louisiana um, the other day. Flooding rains, torrential, seven inches of rain, flooding. Who knows what? It's terrible. It's dangerous. Um, So, you know, the ocean... My wife likes to sit by the water. She likes to watch the waves. You watch the waves come crashing in, and then they stop and they go back. And that's that's like the nations of the world, right? They could think they're big and powerful. They're like the waves, and they come in, and they come crashing to the beach, and they get stopped by the sand, right? So when we pour the water, we're hinting to the fact that the nations may have made themselves like the ocean coming to destroy the temple, but in the end, God's going to take care of them as well. So talking about God running the world, I saw a beautiful story, and hopefully I can get through it. So as a man who wanted to visit his grandparents' grave, it happened to have been called the 100 Cannon Street Shul um, uh, Burial Area. So um, this person is talking. He says, you know, it was a hot day, and I wanted to go visit my grandparents' uh, their graves, and I knew where it was. I'd been there multiple times. And I get to the cemetery, and I'm just walking back and forth. I'm back and forth. I can't find the section for the 100 Cannon Street Synagogue. I can't find it. So I finally see a guy in a truck, obviously one of the cemetery workers. And I go over to him, and I say, you know, um, I, I can't find a certain section. Like, where's the offices? Maybe they can point it out to me. So he says, oh, you walk down this, uh, this uh, road over here, it'll take about 20 minutes, and you'll get to the offices and they'll direct you. And it was such a hot day. And I said, can you do me a favor? I, I can't do that 20-minute walk. It's so hot outside. You have air conditioning in your car. Could you just please take me? And the guy said, no problem. So he, he takes me to the office, and I see there's a group of people um, waiting, obviously, for a funeral. And actually, one of them I see is my friend was there, and uh, one of the boys comes over and he says, you know, we need a minion, we need a quorum, we need 10 men. Could you please stay and be the 10th man? So I said, sure. And while they're waiting, I go inside, try I get the directions, and I get the directions for where um, the area, the section in the cemetery I was looking for is, and I go to the funeral. And the rabbi was the, happened to be the rabbi of the nursing home, and he spoke and he said, beautiful, he says, you know, um, many times you come, I, I, I do services for people from nursing homes, you know, I'm lucky sometimes if I just get a few family members. But today we actually have a minion, a quorum, which is a beautiful thing by a funeral to have 10 men. And the reason is because this lady she she was, as we say, she sacrificed everything that her children should get a Torah education. Her children were in public school, and they couldn't afford, you know, they barely afford rent and food, but it was her dream, her goal, her desire, her will that her children should go, her sons should go 
to a Jewish day school. It was actually to MCJ. And one day she says, that's it. She walks into the office and she says, my, my boys must go to your school. They must have a Jewish education. And they said, okay, you know, we need tuition. And she said, you know, I don't really have money, but let's see what can work out. And however she worked it out, she worked it out. It was going to be a struggle. It was going to be difficult. But she was going to make sure that her boys went to a Jewish day school, which they did. And here today, the rabbi says, is, uh, is these sons, you can see they're, they're, they're religious and all because their mother cared about them. Okay, very beautiful. I asked my friend, I said, uh, I said, you do me a favor. Um, I need to, I came here to visit my, my grandparents. Um, Grave, could you drive me to the section that his friend says, no problem. And they talk for a few minutes and he, and he drives them and he sees when he gets strapped off, there's the sign for the 100, uh, what do we call it, Cannon uh, Street uh, Shul section. And I said to myself, I said, I've walked back and forth for 20 minutes. I walked in front of the sign. I didn't see it. But you know why? Because God wanted me to be the minion for that guy for his mother's funeral. So it didn't matter what I wanted or what I was there for. I just didn't see it because God didn't want me to. Anyways, the music is playing. I hope, as always, you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to all the wonderful sponsors and listeners and those who are pushing my new button. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to the wonderful production team. We have Alan in the back. I will listen food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.